Good morning to everyone. Thank you for joining us via live stream, and thank you all for joining us here. We live in interesting times, don't we? Let's go ahead and open up to Philippians 2. And as we flip there, I'd like to share my heart a little bit. This isn't uh, pertained to the sermon, per se, necessarily. But it's just some thoughts that I've had, some burdens that I think the Lord has laid on my heart during this time. And I think the Lord wants to lead our church in this direction. So this is what I feel that the Lord is, is laying on my heart during this time. First, I want us all as a church to pray together that the Lord would allow us to gather on Easter Sunday. I, I truly want to be able to gather on that day that is such a special day in our church calendar. It's the day where our faith begins with the empty tomb. And I'd ask the whole congregation to specifically pray that we can gather on that time, that we can gather together on Easter Sunday. The second thing that I want you to consider and think about as we go through this, I want us to all check on our brothers and sisters at CBC. I want us to be actively pursuing relationships even during this time whenever we might not be able to see one another like we used to. Whether that's a phone call, a text message, an email. I want you all to be burdened to pursuing relationships during this time. The devil doesn't want us to be together. When we are together, there is power in the body. And we are losing something when we don't gather. And this is not ideal. And what I want us to do is I want us to be discontent with not gathering. This is something that we shouldn't feel comfortable with. It's something that's necessary temporarily, but it's something that we want to get out of. And so in the meantime, I strongly encourage you to pursue relationships with one another, even though you might not be able to see one another. And then third, I want us to pray as a body that the Lord would put people in our paths whom we can help. This is going to be a difficult time. I imagine that things will get worse before they get better. And my desire for us as a church, my desire for our congregation, is that we would touch the community in a way that we might not have as of yet. This difficulty provides us with a great opportunity to reach out to the community. There's tremendous opportunity, ministry opportunity before us. And my prayer this week for this church and my encouragement and exhortation for you during this time is that you would pray for the Lord to put people in your path whom you can help, whether that's financially, whether that's emotionally, whatever way that might be, but that you would be pursuing God, that you would be pursuing people through prayer and asking the Lord to put people in our path as a church as a whole and even as individuals. And dear friends, once you hear of those needs, please share them. I really want us to tackle this and step into this problem to shine forth the light of Jesus Christ. And we have tremendous hope. We have tremendous hope. And I want to share that hope. I want us to jump into this problem and share that hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that, those are my personal desires for this congregation as we go through this time. Please consider them. Pray over them.
Now to our passage this morning. I have decided to continue in Philippians. This will be a week-by-week assessment. But I do think, I do strongly believe that even though we will not be talking about the current event directly, we won't be tackling that issue directly about God's control and how to deal with sickness. We won't be dealing with that this morning. The passage that we will be dealing with has tremendous application for our context. And that passage is Philippians 2.14. Paul says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. This passage is always relevant. There's a perpetual relevance to this passage here. And I'm actually going to be dealing with grumbling and complaining for, the next, for this week and the next two weeks. And if you look in your Bibles, you'll notice that the sentence that Paul begins in verse 14, he continues it all the way to the end of verse 16. And this long sentence is what we're going to be delving into the next two weeks, this week and the next two. So there'll be three parts to this grumbling and complaining series. So that's where we're headed. And this morning, we're just going to be dealing with verse 14, short and sweet. And I have three points for you all this morning. Try not to change it up too much. Three points. So the first point, if you'd write this, do all things. Do all things. And this, naturally, this point naturally flows from the passage, the beginning of verse 14. Now, doing, doing is a very general verb. To do encompasses thoughts, it encompasses actions, it encompasses attitudes, and it encompasses speech. It's a very general command here. And then Paul attaches a general object to a general verb. Do, do this. Very general. Well, what do we do? We do all things. Wow. That's all-inclusive. There's nothing that's excluded here. Paul doesn't say, speak all things, or believe all things, or act in all different ways. He says to do all things. This is a very broad idea here. And what this highlights, this notion of doing all things, what it highlights is the lordship of Christ in the life of a believer. From last week's sermon, we dealt with verses 12 through 13 in Philippians 2, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's coming a day of judgment. There's coming a day of judgment. And the day of judgment, the day of accountability, should fuel the way that we live. We should therefore work out our salvation in a certain type of way, with certain type of attitudes. And those attitudes that we work out our salvation with are a healthy fear, a healthy trembling of coming accountability. And one way we work out our salvation with fear and trembling is that we do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now, no action is excluded here. I want you to see that. There is no action excluded from doing all things. Doing is a very general idea. 
and it encompasses all things. Often, when we think about grumbling or disputing, we often think of things that we say. Oftentimes, we think of verbally complaining or verbally grumbling or murmuring or being argumentative. That's often the idea that we attach to grumbling or complaining. But I want you to see that Paul does not say, never speak a complaining word or never verbally argue with someone. Paul highlights here that complaining and disputing are more than just actions that we do with our mouths. Complaining and disputing are really heart attitudes. There is a way that we complain in our hearts. There is a way that we grumble in our hearts. There is a way that we are argumentative in our hearts. And this doing all things brings that idea into focus. Paul is not just talking about here. He is not just talking about speech, although that is included. Paul is talking about every facet of the Christian life. Everything that we do, whether it's a motive, whether it's an attitude, whether it's an action or something that we say, all of that, all of those things are to be done without grumbling or disputing. When Jesus saves us, when Jesus saves you, Jesus demands your entire life. He demands all of it. Whenever you accept Christ as Lord, you're not able to say, well, Jesus, you can't come in this part of my life. Jesus demands all of it. We are to do all things, dear Christian. All things. Whether it's our attitudes, what it is that people cannot see, or our speech, what it is that people can see. We are to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Speech as well as attitudes. Now let's be a bit, bit more specific about what, we're talking, uh, what I'm talking about with reference to grumbling. I want to hi highlight this, this notion of grumbling. This is my second point. First point, do all things. Second point, grumbling. I guess it should probably be without grumbling. <laughs> we don't want to grumble. So make the second point without grumbling. To understand this, we have to understand the Old Testament background that Paul's working with here. And that background comes from the people of Israel and the story of the Exodus. Turn with me to Exodus 16. Exodus 16. The people of Israel were very much like us. Things never change. Human behavior never changes. And the people of Israel, like us, were prone towards grumbling and complaining. And Paul draws upon this story here in Exodus 16. We'll read through verse 3. They, this is the Israelites, set out from Elam, 
Now the Israelites, excuse me, let me pause here. The Israelites are on their way from Egypt to the promised land. So Elam is a place in between Egypt and Israel. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, what did they do? Grumbled. They grumbled. Grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, I'm going to inflect my voice to properly replicate what they're doing. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That's the inflection that we ought to read this passage with. They're basically hangry. Do you know what being hangry is? If you want a good definition of what being hangry is, just hang out with me for a little while. I tend to get hangry. Jen, don't laugh, okay? The Israelites are hangry. And what they're saying to God and to Moses, they're saying that, you know what, actually, God and Moses? We had it better back in Egypt than we do in this desert. You know what, we actually want to go back to bondage. We actually want to go back to slavery because we could at least had food there. That's what they're saying. There's no thankfulness. There's no gratitude, and that's key. There's no thankfulness, and there's no gratitude. So they're hungry, excuse me, they're hangry, plus they're thankless. And you have to have both to grumble. Grumbling is more than just expressing difficulty. Grumbling and complaining, what Paul says in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling. What he is saying there is that grumbling, that complaining, there's more to that than just expressing that you're struggling. When we grumble is when we express difficulty plus thanklessness. It's very key. So let's say, let's say one morning you wake up and you have really bad stomach pain, like really bad, and you think to yourself, I might need to go to the doctor. I might need to go to the hospital. What you should not do in that situation is say, you know what, I'm not going to let anyone know my stomach hurts because I don't want to complain. If your stomach is hurting very badly, it is not a sin to say to other people, my stomach is hurting very badly. And actually, that's what you should do. If you need medical care, especially in, in our context, it is not virtuous to go around acting like you're just fine. For you to tell others that you're struggling, for you to tell others that you are in pain, is not to complain. To complain, to grumble, is to express difficulty with a thankless spirit. Complaining and grumbling is expressing difficulty, whether that's in your heart, whether that's through your body language, or whether that's through your mouth, through talking. Complaining is expressing difficulty while at the same time being thankless. Thanklessness 
is an essential mark of complaining. And let me give you a good story and illustration of this from my life. This will be funny. It will be at my expense, but that's okay. Over Christmas time, my wife and I and our children, we went to visit my parents in Florida. And my parents, being the kind grandparents and parents that they are, they decided to take us to Disney World. And Disney World is a very magical place, isn't it? Unfortunately, for myself, I wasn't feeling the magic. I wasn't feeling the magic. I was thinking of, I'm going to be in this place with thousands of people. I'm going to be absorbing so many germs. I'm going to have to use a bathroom that millions of people have used. I'm going to have to pay $10 for a water bottle. So that was kind of my attitude. So we go, and we get there. And rather than there being thousands of people to rub shoulders with, there were tens of thousands of people to rub shoulders with. And rather than the water bottle being $10, it was $15. It was, it was, it was a, let me say this, it was a less ideal day to go to Disney World. It was one of the busiest days of the year. So, you know, I'm just, rather than just doing the best that I can, being thankful. Wow, I'm so thankful that I have children. I'm so thankful that I have a wife. I'm so thankful that the sun is shining. I'm so thankful that I'm saved. I'm so thankful for my parents, for the money to do this. Very few people in all of human history have been able to go to Disney World. Rather than focusing on those things, I'm sulking. I'm complaining. I, I, I'm self-absorbed, having this pity party. My attitude is terrible. Now, I might not have said that very often, but you could just read it on my body language. I am just having this pity party. And, and that, that might be the worst example of me complaining in my whole life. It's a good thing the elders weren't there because I might not be here preaching this morning. And I bring that up. It's funny to laugh at people complaining, isn't it? It, it, it is. It's funny. It's funny to laugh at me. But dear friend, we, we all do it. <laughs> we all do it. We all murmur under our breath at times. We all have terrible body language whenever we are asked to do something that we don't want to. We all complain. This is something that the Lord looks down upon. This, does, this type of behavior, this type of speech does not please our Lord. And in this context of the coronavirus... In this context of going to Walmart and there being no toilet paper, having to be home with the kids all day, having to be locked inside, we are going to have as Christians, as a community, as a body of Christ, we are going to have ample opportunity to complain. More so now than a month or two months or three months ago ample opportunity and dear friend what's going to rise up in your heart as you're as you're going through difficulty is a complaining spirit having a pity party being selfish being self-absorbed being thankless and what Paul is telling us here is that we are to do all things without this attitude and the antidote here, 
the antidote, what it is that I want you to do. So what, what Paul is asking you and commanding us to not do is to complain, is to grumble, is to express difficulty with a thankless spirit. And the antidote here is this. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There is a beautiful symmetry here between what Paul says in this 1 Thessalonians passage and what Paul says in Philippians 2.14. In Philippians 2.14, Paul says to do all things without grumbling. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. A perfect symmetry. We are to never complain, dear friend. And we are to always give thanks. That is the antidote to complaining, is thankfulness. It is thankfulness. And dear friend, we ought to always be thankful. And the reason why we can give thanks in all circumstances, the reason why Paul can say this, is because Jesus is risen from the dead. And that God's promises and his word to us are true. We can always have hope. We can always have in us a sense of security that regardless of what happens to us in life, regardless of the difficulty that we confront in this life, that our souls are secure with Christ. And that never changes, ever. The tomb will always be empty. God's word to us in Christ is always true. Therefore, never complain. Therefore, give thanks in all circumstances. That's the application. So dear friend, as we struggle through this together and individually, don't complain. Do not complain like the Israelites. What that shows is a lack of faith. It shows a thankless heart. God has done so much more for us, so much for us. God is always good, and Jesus is always with the Father. He is never dead, and he will forever live. And because of that, we therefore should not complain, and we should always be thankful. Back to Philippians 2.17, excuse me, 2.14. So we are to do all things without grumbling, complaining. Don't be like me at Disney World, okay? Never do that. And secondly, the second attitude, the third point, the second attitude that we're never supposed to have is this notion, Philippians 2.14, do all things without disputing. Disputing. Now this, is a, this noun here is a bit more difficult to understand than the grumbling. It's harder to understand than this notion of complaining. Paul doesn't use this word too often when he writes, but he does use it in a couple of places that help us understand what he's saying here in Philippians 2.14. Turn to Romans 14.1. Romans 14.1. Paul says this. As for the one who is weak in faith, 
welcome him. But not, but not to quarrel over opinions. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. This word in Romans 14.1, this word opinions, is the same word that occurs in Philippians 2.14 for disputing. Disputing. And what I want you to see here, the way that Paul is using it, is Paul is using this word with reference to matters that do, to, to beliefs that ultimately do not matter. The English translation here in the ESV renders it opinions. Opinions, we all have opinions, don't we? And it's fine to have opinions. But opinions are beliefs that we have that don't really matter that all that much. Opinions are contrasted with convictions. Convictions matter. Convictions are worth arguing about. Convictions are worth fighting over. Opinions, on the other hand, don't matter all that much. It's fine to have opinions. It's fine to have and believe certain things that don't have tremendous relevance for life. But we should not hold them to the level of convictions. Paul recognizes these opinions, and these opinions are a part of disputing. Okay, remember that. Now go to 1 Timothy 2.8. 1 Timothy 2.8. Paul uses this word disputing again. First Timothy 2.8. I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. This word for quarreling, the Greek word that stands behind this English word quarreling, is the word that Paul uses in Philippians 2.4 for disputing. And what I take Paul to be saying here. Paul is telling Timothy's church and us, by consequence, he's telling the men to come together in a spirit of unity. He's calling them to come together without anger. Anger separates us from one another. Anger leads us away from one another. Anger leads us to disunity. And also, so does quarreling. And this quarreling is over unimportant matters. So remember the passage Romans 14.1, opinions. What Paul is saying in our passage, kind of bringing these two passages together, the, the Romans 14.1 and this 1 Timothy 2.8, to understand the, the word in Philippians 2.14. What Paul is saying in Philippians 2.14, Paul is saying that our motives and actions, that we are to do all things without a spirit of, of argumentation. We should not have an argumentative spirit. Specifically, we should not make a big deal about opinions. We should not quarrel or dispute with one another in the body of Christ over unimportant matters. That's what Paul is saying in Philippians 2.14. We are to do all things 
without an argumentative attitude over unimportant matters, over opinions. Now, there are times, dear Christian, there are times whenever we do need to have an argumentative spirit about beliefs that matter, about really important beliefs, about very central doctrines. But other times, we shouldn't. And if you have an argumentative spirit, which I do, I, that's kind of my, that's how I am by nature. I'm a combative person. If you have a combative spirit, what Paul is telling you here in Philippians 2.14, he's saying that you need to season your attitude and your disposition with peacemaking. You ought not to be nitpicky. You ought not to make a mountain out of a molehill. There are certain issues in life that just are not so important that we should divide over. And I think a perfect illustration of this is in marriages, the relationship between spouses. How often, how often do we get in arguments with our spouse about issues that just don't matter. I see y'all smiling. I mean, how often? I mean, this is like any time. Catherine and I don't get too many arguments. And, but when we do, it's always over things that just don't matter. The coffee pot isn't in the right place, or you didn't brush the kid's teeth right, or you forgot something, or... And, and it comes from me, usually. It just, they just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And, and dear brothers, if you're making mountains out of molehills, you're sinning. You're not obeying this passage, Philippians 2.14. Our spirit, the spirit that we should have, is not one that nitpicks, is not one that is pedantic and goes down to the details of everybody's life. We should correct our brothers and sisters in Christ when they're in sin. We should do that, especially if the sin is significant. But more often than not, more often than not, I feel that division and disunity within my family and my, and my relationship with my wife in this church, I feel that the disunity that I often experience is over opinions, is over matters that have no consequence. And the, what the Lord wants us to do, we are to not have this type of argumentative spirit. So that's what we're not supposed to do. What we are supposed to do is what it is that the Proverbs speak over and over about. Listen to these references, okay? Proverbs twelve sixteen. A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Proverbs 19.11 A man's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. Proverbs 29.11 A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. 
There are times in our lives, dear Christian, there are times that we are called to defend God's truth. I totally believe that. There are times whenever we have to make a big deal about certain beliefs. We are called to that. But more often than not, in our families and in our churches, more often than not, what I do is I make a big deal out of nothing. And I personally believe that in our church, we have often made a bigger deal out of something unimportant. We've spent our time nitpicking and pointing out small issues that are really matters of opinion. And we have disobeyed this passage. And my hope for you all, and my hope for myself, during this time, that we will realize that so many things in light of death, in light of a pandemic, don't matter. And that this situation would bring a healthy, sobering attitude upon us. And that we would not waste our time in our relationships, in our marriages, in church relationships, quarreling and disputing over unimportant matters. Life is short. Life is short. And life, it's not worth, worth wasting the time bickering about opinions. What we are to do, dear friend, if you have a disagreement with someone and it's not that important, overlook it. Move on. Ask the Lord for help. Do not make a big deal about it. If you're insulted and it's just between you and another person, just let it go. Just let it go. That's my prayer for us, and that's what God, I think, is, God is telling us through this passage, is that our attitudes, our speech, our body language is to be devoid of complaining and bickering and disputing. And during this time especially, as we all go through this difficulty together, we will see in the next coming weeks that we have a responsibility to hold up the gospel, to shine forth the light of Jesus Christ. And the way that we do that, the way that starts with you, the way that starts with us is to not complain, but to be thankful and for us to not dispute with one another and our spouses, but to overlook offenses and to make a big deal about the things that matter. And my prayer is that in this situation, this situation will refine us individuals as individuals and us as a body. And we will come together, Lord willing, on Easter. And we will hold forth this message of Jesus Christ without grumbling or disputing. I pray God's blessings upon your life. Please, church family, let us know how we can serve. Please let us know how we can better assist you as pastors and elders and staff. And be strong. Be faithful. Don't complain and don't dispute. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of it. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for not obeying so often, Lord. Philippians 2.14. 
I pray for your blessing upon the people who are here. Father, thank you so, so much for the people who serve faithfully here. Lord, thank you for Jesse and for the team that he leads. Lord, thank you for all those singers, Lord, who sing so beautifully, Lord. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you, God, for what you're doing here. And Lord, as we go through this difficult time, we ask for your encouragement and your grace. We pray for a spirit of thankfulness and we pray for a spirit that would overlook the unimportant matters of life, the differences, the opinions, the differing opinions that we all have with one another. Father, I pray that we would make much of you in this community and Lord, that we would gather together on Easter to celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Father, bless your name, bless this church. Lord, use us during this time. In Christ's name, amen.